Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. So much. So delighted that you could spend some time with us this afternoon, Wednesday, uh, after Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a terrific turkey time. I know we did, and we're delighted you could join us. We've got a great panel discussion for you. One of the things that Daniel Medina and I do, the hosts of uh, Fiscal Fitness, is look to see what's going on. And one of the things that captured our attention is the number of new businesses that are exploding in this country right here, right now. Yes, in the middle of a pandemic, a lot of people have decided you know, to take their retirement plan or whatever money they have and not go back to work for the man, but to put their shingle on the road roof or on the door and uh, and go to work with all kinds of plans to make for a new business. So we're also seeing a lot of zombie businesses, and we think we're going to see more of those close, frankly, permanently. But we're addressing right now the businesses that want to survive and thrive, whether they've been in business for a number of years or they're just starting out like a green shoot. So we'll uh, make sure that you get to hear from each of the people on our panel but we're delighted uh, that we have a, a terrific CPA, Andrea Roshke, uh, and she does a terrific job with businesses. And we want her to make sure she talks about how to make sure you don't show up on the IRS uh, scorecard. All right. You are invisible to the IRS like you want to be invisible to the COVID-19. And then uh, Bob Charney is a master of marketing. So he'll be talking about what can you do as an old business to recharge yourself and as a new business, how to make sure that you're getting the business that you're, you're looking for. And Rob Winner is an attorney. Uh, in fact, he's a shareholder with his firm where he's an expert with helping businesses figure out how to get top dollar. So one of the things Daniel and I notice is that so many business owners have this imaginary number and, and we watch them pull it out of their right or, or left cheek, you know, but it's, it's like, well, how do you know that's a real number? It's one that they imagine and they just seem that they should be able to get this when they want it on their terms. Uh, Rob has seen so many of these folks become disappointed with the results because the buyers don't see the numbers the way the sellers want the numbers to appear. So he's going to give us some ideas as to how to stay on top of the process to make sure that over a period of time, you're hitting all the markers you need to hit so that when you decide uh, that you want to sell, you already know that you're, you've hit those markers and, and your odds have improved. So we'll get into that. Uh, we also want to talk about what's going on with some of the changes in, in California. But first, as we do every week, I like to bring you up to speed in terms of how the markets are doing. Because when we look at the news, and I've been on maybe over 100 news shows, it's, it's day by day, which means you can't see the trend or you can't see a perspective. So one way to get a perspective is to look at a longer period of time. It can't be at a nanosecond. Each day the market's up and it makes you think that the market's just doing fabulous. It'll never go down. 
but let's look at it on an annual basis and let's look to see what some folks are suggesting are right around the corner because we want you all prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. And frankly, most of us are not. So year to date, that means from January 1 through today, uh, the market's still open. It's up, uh, the Dow's up about 50%. And year to date, it's up about 4.41%. That's not a bad run. But I just want you to listen to that number because when we get to the third one, it's like, it's like a whole different number. It's a different universe. The S&P, which is probably a better indicator of how the overall market is doing because we're now looking at 500 stocks as opposed to 30, uh, is up like 13.36%. Uh, having a good day today. That's a very good number for our annualized return year to date from January 1 through exactly this minute. Now, when we get to the NASDAQ, notice this number is off the charts. It's the best number we've seen in a long time, the best number we've seen this year. It's above its high. Last time I looked it was at, at, at these uh, heights, it was up 34%. As of today, it's now up 37.37% uh, at around 12,353. So now let's get to this next piece because uh, that's the most important piece from the standpoint that so many people are looking at what's going on now and particularly with the COVID and now we've got a double vaccine. So that's the perfect dose just to make the boogeyman and the COVID go away, right? Well, this may indeed be very similar to the Roaring Twenties. Now, you know that uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does often rhyme. And most of us don't like math. We won't look at history and heaven forbid, we try and do a budget. It's just something we don't do. But the affluent people do all of that. They like looking at history. They like learning from history as opposed to repeating it. And they like looking at how things could turn that uh, in ways that they don't imagine that could become very ugly. And what they want to do is avoid as much of that ugliness as possible. And by that, I mean, they want to make sure that if the market's off 35%, as it was earlier this year, their account is not off 35%. Anything less than 35% would be an improvement. Certainly if it's off half that amount or less, that makes you feel like you might weather the storm. So uh, we see that the, the Dow has posted its best month in November since 1987. And both the Dow and the S&P marked the best November since 1928. 1928, does that ring a bell? You probably are not aware that in November of 1928, guess what? It was the best November ever. And of course, that means that was right before what? The uh, crash or the Great Depression of 1929. And just to put things in perspective, we see again the NASDAQ uh, taking off like a rocket ship. We have seen this before. You may recall the 90s. In fact, the Dow and the S&P, as I recall, if you invested, let's say $100,000, 1995 in an index fund with the S&P and the Dow, your account probably doubled in about five years. That's not bad. However, the, quad, the, um, the, 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 the NASDAQ did much better. It quadrupled. So instead of $100,000 going to $200,000, nobody would be unhappy with that. With the NASDAQ, $100,000 went to $400,000. <laughs> That's quite a gift, right? But about February of 2000, as I recall, we saw the wheels come off the wagon. In, in about 30 months, guess what happened with the NASDAQ? Yes, that's right. It was only off 80%. Now, Daniel, help us out here real quick. And, and let's do the math because, as I say, most of us don't do this well. So the good news is 100,000 and the NASDAQ grew to 
400,000 approximately five years. And then with an 80% loss, is that a minus $320,000 leaving us with $80,000 in our hands? That's correct, Joe. My goodness. See, I mean, it, that's almost unimaginable, except the, this is the data. This, these are the facts. 100 went to 400, 400 went to 80. Have a nice day. Now, Daniel, do this for us. It, it, we know people, again, if, when we're off 50%, we imagine we need a 50% gain to get back to even. Tell us what we need when we're off 50%, and then please tell us what we need to get back to even if, heaven forbid, it happens again that for whatever reason, your account's off 80%. So if your account is goes down by 50%, so essentially, let's say it's 100,000, goes down to 50,000, you need to make back the 50,000 you lost on now a $50,000 account value. So your account actually has to double. So if you're down 50%, your account, you need 100% return to make back what you lost. Now, if your account is down 80%, so 400 goes to 80,000, your account needs to go up by five times or you need a 400% return. A 400% return. Just sit on that for a minute. Wrap your mind around that. And then ask the question, is that something you want, you look forward to participating in? <laughs> we don't want that to happen to you, but a lot of people I'm, I suspect are not, they're about as prepared in the last time as for the next time, they're not prepared at all. Uh, and so with a, with a gain necessary of 400%, I just need you to ask, answer this question. How do you like those odds? If, for example, instead of, let's say the market, for whatever reason, hypothetically, goes through a 50% loss, we know we need 100%, and then at some point, some people are off 80%, they need 400% uh, to gain, to get back to even. It, what you might prefer is to be off, let's say, no more than 20%. Why? Well, the math is beautiful at that level. If we're off 20% in a bad year, we need to net a gain of 25% in hopefully the very next year to stay even, to get back to where we, we started. As opposed to those folks who are off 50 to 80%, it's a Hail Mary pass that you need to try to get back in the game. And we know how those Hail Mary passes work sometimes and don't work most of the time. <laughs> so the way we think about things here at Investors Advantage, and Daniel's been our primary math man since 2006, is to really assess, probably for the first time, what kind of loss is acceptable to you. It's a very personal question. And frankly, there are a lot of financial advisors across the country, very good people, very highly qualified. They don't help investors make that assessment. They just say, are you conservative, mark, uh, uh, you know, medium or you know, aggressive or conservative, moderate, right? Only nobody knows what those terms exactly mean. We think the, where the rubber really meets the road is to be able to have you discover for the first time, is it an 8% loss? And then let's look to see what your portfolio did in 08. And if there were no changes, we can run that back to see what it did. And in some cases we find the market was up 37% and many investors were off over 40%. Now the math on a 40% loss, I've run the numbers by Daniel to make sure I did my math correctly. And that means a gain is necessary of 66.6, like six, at least 66.5% gain to get a four, to erase a 40% loss. So again, the real question is, one, what kind of loss is acceptable to you? All markets have losses, all investments do, everything does, but maybe we can limit those losses. And then number two, 
Can we see the evidence that a different portfolio run for the same time period, let's say from January 2008 through today, can we see that maybe the loss was less severe in 2008? So instead of needing four, instead of taking four to five years to get back to even, which is what most passively managed investments did, whether they were mutual funds or exchange traded funds. They took on average about four, sometimes nearly five years to get back to even. Many clients that have taken this kind of uh, advice, if you will, were back to even in two years or less. That would be an improvement because who knows whether or not the next market's going to just be V-shaped in the recovery, or maybe you don't have enough time to try to recover because the loss is, is, is so severe. So we want you to think about that, and certainly we can, we can be of help to you in those regards. But let's look real quickly at uh, one of the things that, that, that gets our attention in terms of uh, you know, investing uh, and some of the changes that are unfolding right before our very eyes. And that has to do with the CalSavers Retirement Savings Program. And I'm going to have Daniel talk about what the alternative is, but just so that you know, the state of California, love them or leave them, right, uh, has... Uh, looked at the situation in terms of how many people are not doing well at all relative to having enough money after they take their, get their last paycheck. So the state, along with other states, are implementing programs where for those uh, private sector workers who employers do not offer a retirement plan, uh, this is allowing them to give, uh, to set up a retirement plan through the state. So the, the deal is one deadline has passed, that was September 30th, what that means is if you have over 100 employees, you need to have a plan either of your own making or one that's provided by the state. Daniel will talk about the pros and cons. If it's over 50 employees, your deadline is June 30, 2021, right around the corner. And for those with five or more employees, your deadline to have a plan is June 30, 2022. So we don't like to see surprises that are ugly. Uh, we want to be able at least to see the surprise that might turn ugly, but you have time to rectify and, and be appropriately prepared. So give us an overview, Daniel, please, in terms of how you look at uh, the, the, the program that's being offered versus what else is available. Thanks, John. This is an, this is an interesting one because we really do have a retirement crisis in the United States and people just aren't saving like they should. So this is a, this is a kind of a noble effort. Uh, whether you like the government overreach or not, it's a different question. But I personally like that the, that the states are doing something to encourage people to start saving. So for companies of over 100 people, um, your deadline is passed of September 30. So you need to have something in place. You can either establish your own 401k plan or uh, per employer established plan, or you can use the CalSavers plan that's set up by, by California. In, in California, the CalSavers plan is essentially a Roth IRA with uh, employer contributions. So the the state has set up a plan, it's a Roth IRA. And if they if your company participates, then your company would make payroll deductions from your paycheck directly into your Roth IRA. Now for employers, this creates a little bit more work because they, they're the ones who have to establish a plan, enroll their participants. And if you're an employee, you're automatically entered into the plan with the, I believe a 1% contribution. And that goes up every year until it hits 8%. And you, if you're an employee, you actually have to opt out of the plan to not participate. So this is the state saying, we want you to start doing something for your future. And this is what it's, this is what we've set up for you. Now, 
if you don't, if you're a company and you don't want to participate in the plan, you can always set up your own plan. And if there's any, we, we can all, this is, this is work that we do with uh, companies that we help uh, manage their 401ks or their employee sponsored plans. There's, there's other options than the CalSavers plan, but there's the nice thing about having your own plan is you have more flexibility. So you can determine who enrolls when, what contribution rate, what options are available. If you go into the CalSavers plan, it's all set up for you. So Roth IRA with their in, with their investment options, and uh, that's it. Well, and talk real quickly about uh, one of the things that uh, employers have as a primary question is cost. So how can they make sure that they are aware of the costs? Many times with the 401ks, you don't see the expenses, but uh, that's not how you like to make sure the job gets done. Well, the benefit of using a Cal, the Cal Savers plan is there's really no additional expense to the employer. It may create some additional work on the employer's side for administrating the, the plan from a payroll perspective. Someone actually has to um, do the work to, to determine how much the contributions are, make sure this contribution and make sure those contributions are set. But there's no additional cost from the Cal Savers side. On a 401k side, there are additional expenses for the company to establish the plan. Um, th that's something that varies from plan to plan. It's uh, there's some plans have have zero startup costs. Some plans have as much as five thousand dollars in startup costs. It really just depends on what plan is needed for the for that company. And for and, the, well, yeah, go ahead. And for the participants, for the employee, for the for the company's employees, the plan, the cost. There's always cost to everything. So like any investment, there's always cost to the person investing. So in the CalSavers plan, the, the, this, for the most part, they're, they're relatively low expense uh, mutual funds. Uh, if I remember correctly, anywhere from, I believe, 0.15% to 1%, depending on the investment option. And in most 401k plans, it's fairly similar. Uh, again, it depends on which plan is needed. We, some plans can be very cheap. Some plans tend to be, some can be more, a little more expensive, but it really depends on what the employer needs and what they're willing to pay for, but we like for them to see what the options are so they can pick and choose. And also they can take advantage of catch up provisions for themselves where they may be older. And let's say you have a 25 year old and you're 50 and both of you are trying to reach a million dollars. Certainly if you're 50 years old, you have less time, which means you can put in more money. Uh, and the 25 year old would be able to put in, would, would be putting in less to get to the same target. So it's one of those things that we think are important. So we got to go to break. And can you give us our instructions real quick, Daniel? Yes, you can find us on Facebook under Investors Advantage, on Twitter at Money on Course. You can find us on our website, www.ybpoor.com, or you can reach us on email at contact at ybpoor.com. Beautiful. We'll be right back with Andrea Rushke. She'll lead us off with a take as far as the CPA is concerned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit 
yb4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's yb4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you could spend some time with us from 12 to 1 today, Pacific Standard Time. Uh, And by the way, we have a great panel lined up for you to talk about how these businesses can survive and thrive, whether they're new or ancient, right? We all want to last. And each of them have received a copy of my book. I'd love for you to have a copy of my book, uh, Making Finance Make Sense. It is available in Kindle and paperback at, at Amazon. But if you post a question or come with one, let's say, after we're off the show, We'll provide you with a Kindle version at no cost is, is our gift to you. And, and speaking of gifts, we love this time of the year uh, because we're giving thanks. And the best way that we find we can give thanks is to provide free financial planning services to all frontline workers. So what that means is whether it's in office, six feet apart, or on Zoom, in 90 minutes, we'll help each uh, frontline or essential worker. I mean, they don't have the option of working from home. They have to show up. So we're saying you do so much to keep us safe. Let's see what we can do to help you see what it takes for you to make work optional on your time frame, help you recognize in the event of a, the, the loss of a breadwinner due to un, you know unexpected death, what is necessary to keep everything in the air because there were two people, now there's one people, so we need some money to make up the difference of the lost income of the deceased. And then if there are children in the equation, we want to make sure that we put together a college plan together so that you don't just cry because they finish, they cross the finish line in graduating, you're crying because nobody has any debt. That's how we like to do it. So let's talk with uh, Andrea Roschke here. She's owner, president, the CPA firm Roschke and Wall. They are business advisors along with CPAs, and and they work with a lot of different people, including uh, government contractors and small businesses. She prepares all levels of income tax returns with special focus on tax planning. That's very important. Um, You know, she thinks of it as preventative medicine. We agree. And she's helped uh, startup and entrepreneurs realize their potential. So let's start with you, Andrea. Ladies first. I know you like girl power, and right now that's that's very uh, popular. Thank you very much. Glad you're in that equation. And yeah. and you you like to distinguish between an ordinary CPA, we'll say it that way, an average one, as opposed to a trusted advisor as a CPA. What's the difference? Yes, thank you, John. Thank you for having me here today. Um, just as you were talking about earlier, looking to the future is important. We have to learn from our history. But um, what we do differently is we look to the future for our clients. Most accountants are just reporting on the history. We mm-hmm. like to work with our business clients as they evolve and change. We provide options. We're not just a tax advisor, but we're a partner with our clients in planning for the best uh, um, outcomes for their business. Okay. All right. So we're, we've got more for you. So we'll, we'll come back. <laughs> well, let's get uh, a sense from our marketing uh, 
master, and that is uh, Bob Charney uh, with uh, RSC. In, uh, he's also at Agura Hills. Uh, and he's been in advertising business for over 35 years, worked with both small and large firms uh, across the country. Um, and he has uh, a, a lot of uh, things going on for him. So, Bob, in terms of um, marketing, what's the most important thing an old business or an existing business should make sure happens? Well, this is true for for both uh, existing businesses, but also startups and brand new companies. And that is to get a very, very good understanding of your target audience. In fact, I would say it's the most important consideration because it influences every other marketing decision you make to jumpstart your, your enterprise. Not only do you have to know their demographics, age, household income, sex, number and age of kids in the household, their education and things like that, you really should also try to understand their psychographics. What do they like in life? Are they luxury buyers? Do they like to travel? Are they animal lovers? Do they like golf, fashion, theater, music? These kinds of insights are the things that'll help you communicate with them more effectively. Most importantly though, it's critical to know what's important to them. What benefit does your product or service deliver to these prospects? Most people want to know what you can do for them. They care about the products and or service you provide really only to the extent it substantiates the promised benefits. For example, if you're an estate planning part, uh, attorney, talk about protecting family assets versus that you do wills. You can substantiate the claim with information about wills and trusts, and also be sure to communicate the reasons people will believe you are more capable than others who do the same thing. But the benefit is protecting the assets. So. Basically, that's the, the most important thing. And then you should also think about the geography of your target audience. Are you serving prospective customers internationally, nationally, regionally, locally? This influences the marketing budgets and media decisions, too. Thanks, Bob. So I know Daniel's got a series of questions for all of you that'll be coming up, but let's get uh, Rob Winner on uh, up to up to bat, uh, who is an expert with privately held companies and working with their owners and structuring, negotiating, and closing strategic transactions. And he is off, often he often serves as outside general counsel. Uh, he has been involved in a range of mergers, acquisitions, capital raising, and private securities. For his clients involved in a number of areas, software, technology, consumer products, fintech, biotech, information technology, and insurance. Gee whiz, Rob, what else do you do? Okay, so <laughs> tell us uh, what you think are the most important principles for uh, owners, whether they're new or old, to think along the lines of preparing at, so at some point to sell their pride and joy profitably. Thanks, John. Business owners always should have an eye on the possible exit at some point in the future. The most typical exit for a business owner is to transfer the business through a sale. Um, some business owners are lucky enough to have the next generation in their families to take over a business. But in, in general, most privately held companies, eg the owners of those companies exit through a sale process. And so when you're running your business, think about all the things in your business that you know, would you be able to document them? Would you be able to show someone that you have agreements with your key customers? Or if you're a software company, do you have agreements with every person who touched the software over the course of the many years that you've developed that software? Those kind of agreements are things that buyers look at when they wanna acquire a company. They want to see corporate records updated. They want to see that their shareholders and officers and directors, or if it's an LLC, that there's an operating agreement. 
and that they're that, that the documents are in order, the key agreements are in order, and it's easy for them to, to kick the tires on the business. Hmm. All good points. All right, Daniel, your turn. All right, Andrea, the first one's for you. For, from a business entity choice standpoint, how do companies make the decision to be most tax efficient? How do you make those decisions? Right, that's think? a, yeah. That's a really good question. Typically, we work with um, the company's attorney, so Rob might be involved in this conversation. But the entity choice you make can, can make a big difference for what we like to call tax efficiency. And what do I mean by that? Um, do you know, does, does, does the business know how much revenue they need to make to put $100 in their pocket? Um, it's not $100, by the way. So the type of entity that you uh, create can can fac factor into that calculation. So you could be a sole proprietor, which is you're, you're starting up your business and you're not going to do any sort of formal entity. Um, you could be an LLC, which is a limited liability corporation, an S corporation, a C corporation. And it's not a cookie cutter decision. It's based on a lot of different factors. So we would work with the... Um, the business and their attorney and their team to figure out the best choice to make for that. Okay. Excellent. Bob, next question is for you. What's the most efficient thing about my business I should be communicating to prospective customers? Well, I really want to reiterate and emphasize that it really is all about the benefits that someone provides to their prospective customers or clients. Most companies tend to communicate a list of the products and services they offer, which doesn't really differentiate you from your competitors. Let me give you an example. Uh, RSC Marketing was asked to help a local pet store reverse declining sales. And the reason was that they were getting significantly increased competition from the big box retailers like Costco and PetSmart, but also the online pet stores like Chewy.com. So we did a deep dive on their target, target audience and, and their products offered at the, at the store. And what we discovered is, is that the customers that shop there really, they care that the owner is on the premises specifically because of his experience, because he can consult with them about their pet's health and then give, you know, things like digestive issues, joint pain, their dog or cat is very lethargic. They have allergies. Pets do have allergies, um, those sort of things. And then he's got food products and, and supplements that can alleviate those things and restore the health of their, of their pet. Now, these people care more about their pets and their children typically, but, but these are highly involved people. And, you know, for them to go buy an off the shelf thing over, you know, they, they need to talk to somebody that knows what they're talking about. And then we discovered that the uh, people were a little older and they were more often women. So our recommendation was to promote the owner as an expert in keeping your pet healthy and create ads that ask people like, does your dog have allergies? Is your cat lethargic? And things like that and then offer the solutions to those. Try this pet food, try this supplement, and, and, and so on. And it was very interesting that as soon as we made that change, they're suddenly getting expanding their customer base, getting uh, uh, old customers or, or to come in more often because it reminded them that they had these issues and they needed more of their products. It completely reversed their sales decline and reinvigorated their business. Excellent. Great answer. Okay, Rob, next one's for you. What should businesses owners do when they receive unsolicited offers to sell? Yeah, the, the reaction to a, a, 
an unsolicited offer is is sometimes uh, sometimes joyful and sometimes very worrisome because <laughs> owners, you know, the owner of a business has an idea of value, but that idea of value is often hasn't been tested against market conditions or even through professionals like CPAs or investment bankers. And the unsolicited offer is typically coming from a private equity buyer and private equity buyers, they're professional buyers of businesses. They have uh, large funds behind them and they're in the business of buying small businesses <laughs> that have potential to grow into larger businesses. They understand how businesses trade, what multiples are used. So a client yesterday that received that unsolicited offer the first thing that I suggested to them to do is to listen. Listen to what the buyer is telling them about their business. Why do they like the business? What do they see are the multiples in, in that client's industry? And I told the client, please just don't throw out any number. Don't tell them your magic number. Don't tell them the, the number you'd walk away with immediately because whatever number that you throw out there, you can rest assured that the final price that you get to will be less than that. So my advice always is to listen, ask questions about how they value business and what they like about your business and what they like about the industry. Excellent. So this is a particularly strange year. So from a business valuation standpoint, Rob, have you seen any trends in the market? Are businesses being, are they going for like severe discounts or are we seeing prices go up? So, so it, I've seen both and, <laughs> and it's, it's the, the reason is my clients that have online consumer products. So think about durable goods that you sell online. Their business has gone way up and, and the thinking through the valuation and the multiples is that, well, is this just a COVID bump? Is this just a bump in the road because, you know, everybody's at home shopping on Amazon and so you're selling more products because everybody's at home and is this not going to be repeatable in the years to come? Other clients who basically have uh, major downturns in their revenue because their customers are shut down and locked down and not in business and so they're suffering those clients are taking huge haircuts and that really interfered with a lot of deals this year. Um, those are the more, maybe you could call it more traditional businesses, John, but companies that have been able to pivot online and increase revenue during this really downtime has, ha have really benefited from the situation. Beautiful. So we'll be back folks uh, with more information from our, Great panel of experts uh, looking at marketing, looking at the legal end of things, um, looking at the tax, most importantly, end of things, and again, how to prepare your business so that you can get top dollar on your terms. Uh, we'll be back in a minute, and uh, we'll lead off with a talk about the future. What do we see as far as the possible future relative to the stock market? Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. 
At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. John Grace, Daniel Medina here with uh, Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. So glad you are spending some time with us. And we want to give our, our terrific guests here a chance to kind of give you their contact information. But first, what I want to, we were talking about what, what might be around the corner. And I, I hinted at, you know, this November kind of event, um, something that might happen around the corner. So look at it this way. This, I think, is, is fascinating. You might recall that in fourth quarter 2018, the market was off 20%. First quarter of 2020, market was off 35%. What is notable there is the second time the low was lower than in 20, so in, in 18. So the low in 20 was lower than the low in 18, which suggests there could be another low in the equation. And one of the things that we do, most advisors don't, is pay for independent research. Best I know is uh, most of us, we get our information from the hierarchy. And of course, if you manufacture ETFs and mutual funds, it's always a time, good time to buy all of that you can. Uh, but there are others like the debt research is uh, where we're charter member and and master certified. We paid up to $10,000 a year just to have them tell us what are the larger pictures that could be impacting things? And, and the, the, the correct answer is demographics. Demographics changes everything. In, in fact, if you look at the buying and selling behavior of people based on age, which nobody does, you can really get to see 
more of what's going on as opposed to looking at sales. And then, of course, we have the natural inclination just to do, you know, logarithmic scale from the standpoint, well, this was a low and it's just going up like this. Well, you know, suppose things have changed and you didn't know that because the demographics have changed. So uh, what we were talking about just recently with the webinar for our clients is that look for, uh, if you like looking at like numbers to keep things in perspective, look at the S&P 500, look to it being in somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of 35 to 3,700, and then it may decline. If you prefer to look at the NASDAQ, we're gonna suggest that you look at 12,500 to 13,000. We think those numbers might turn out to be the peaks. Now, only time will tell, but our research team is suggesting that we could see a high sometime after the first of the year and a 40 to 41% loss in the second quarter of 2021. Now, don't think that's the bottom. Think that might be the first leg down. <laughs> so it's something, as I say, nobody can see the future. We can't either. But if we're prepared for it, and in fact, one of my best lines is, you don't need to be uh, psychic. You don't need to be able to predict the future to be prepared for the future. And as we were talking earlier, to the extent that we are prepared, by having our portfolios already positioned to move out of risk assets into cash as they did in 2008, as we think they should have in 2008, but most of us didn't know that that was even an option. We wanted it out, all the money out, 100%, maybe you started the, the year 5% cash in your portfolio, but in many cases, our clients finished the year 50 to 100% cash 2008, because daily the question was, are we putting fuel on this fire or water? And in 08, it was water. But starting March 9th, 2009, it's fuel, it's pedal to the metal, it's uh, this, how high is the sky? So we wanna be risk off in 08, being in cash to be conservative. We can't lose money, we're not making money, but we can't lose money in cash. And then fully invested back 50, 100%, you know, as a, 50 to 100% invested back to 5% cash, as opposed to 2008, 60 to 100% cash, all in in 2009, that way we might have seen uh, no more than a loss of 20% uh, in 2008. And uh, again, if we got at least a net of 25% in 2009, we have more money in a year or two as compared to the passive programs that what we saw was it took three to five years for those accounts to get back to even. So let's get back into uh, what we can do in terms of uh, our, our, our businesses uh, from a tax standpoint, from a marketing standpoint and from a legal standpoint. So uh, with, with girl power here, we'll love Andrea being on, on board. What are some of the mistakes, Andrea, business owners make when they operate with that shoebox as opposed to uh, a, a better record keeping system? Yes, um, good question. I've seen a lot of, um, of shoeboxes in my career, but um, so I guess the biggest mistake is not having a system, right? So. Um, I see a lot of people who set up a system that don't have um, an understanding of what it should look like. They, they use their accounting program as a checkbook. They don't really understand how it's supposed to look. So um, I think the first mistake is um, not hiring someone to help you with that. You know, keep, keep your mind on your business. Let somebody who's experienced in uh, doing accounting keep track of that for you. Um, don't try to outsmart the government. It's another one that I've uh, I've seen. Don't <laughs> listen to your neighbor. My neighbor said blah blah blah. Um, don't assume you're entitled to a deduction. Um, so you know those are things that usually will come back to bite you in the end. Um, so 
don't try to DIY. Don't try to do it yourself. That's really the, ma- the major uh, mistake I think you can make when setting up your system. Well, particularly right now, right? I mean, the governments are not collecting sufficient funds. I think tax rates have to go up no matter who's in office. But we also know that the revenues uh, need to be better collected. And I suspect the IRS is going to come out with a vengeance. So this might be a time to help have someone look over your shoulder to make sure your guesses and your assessments and your assumptions are in line and and more likely to be accept it as opposed to really going out there and say, well, it's a flyer. If I get caught, I'll just pay the penalty. And, and, and as I say, it, it's, it's not something that we think would be fun. So we want, we want people to avoid that pain. So, um, okay, Bob, how about you? Uh, in terms of, we, there's so many ways uh, businesses have as tools to communicate, uh, to promote offers or you know, more information about the business. Oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, Bob. Andrea, uh, tell us what your contact information is. Oh, sure. Um, I can be reached at um, our, our website is www.roshkewall.com. That's R-O-S-C-H-K-E-W-A-L.com. And um, our phone number is 818-991-1099. Beautiful. So, Bob, uh, what the, you got the question. So lead off with your contact information, please. Okay. Well, it's rscmarketing.com. And if you go there, uh, our, our toll-free number is on the website, and we have an info at rscmarketing.com uh, email address, and you can contact me either of those ways as well. Beautiful. And how about promoting our business? What's the best way, do you think, or the ones that you're advocating right now? Well, the first and most essential medium is your website. And just, you know, judge from what Andrea just said and what I just said, the first place we told you to contact us was our website. And, and you know, for every kind of company, including professional service firms like CPAs and attorneys and insurance agents, doctors, et cetera, the website is, is really the first customer and client touch point where they go to learn more about your enterprise. If they discover the benefits, I keep harping on that, but it's really critical. If they discover the benefits of your product or service on your website, they're more likely to do business with you. And then certainly social media is important, but ask yourself how many prospective customers will see my message. Some companies don't have that many followers, so social media might not actually reach that many people. But you can buy ads versus just posting on social media, and that's a good idea. But again, consider your target audience. Make sure you're placing advertising messages where the people who need and want your products and services are getting their information. Make media choices based on what demographic the medium delivers, cost and cost efficiency, geography, and the ability to creatively deliver your messaging. Media planning and buying is complicated, but my advice is resist making media decisions based on your own media habits. Same thing with your creative ideas. Ads should reflect the personality of your sales prospects, not what you personally like, not be posted in media that you like, but your target audience is not necessarily utilizing. So you're talking all about read your audience, know your audience, and make Absolutely. sure you show up there. It's a, recur- a it's a, re- it's a re- uh, recurring uh, piece of advice ag- against all the questions that, you're, that, that you pose to me today. Right. Know your target audience. It drives every decision thereafter. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, Rob, so we want you to lead off with your contact information as shareholder at Nevers, Palazzo, Packard, Wildermuth, and Winner. That would be you, Winner, with a Y, by the way. That's, it, it's interesting. Uh, so, and, and, and tell us, please, 
what kind of situations, because you see a lot, and I know you work with a lot of very affluent clients. So what kind of situations give you the most joy when you're working with your, your clients at your law firm? Well, well, first of all, Bob, you know, you, you made a good point about the website. You know, for lawyers, websites are pretty dry. Um, I, I like to think ours is at npwlaw.com. Uh, so you don't have to remember all those names. You know, helps. <laughs> what, what really brings joy is when a process is successful, a sale process is, is successful. So you have a client who's made uh, a great living running a business. They often started that business. They know every aspect of it. It provides for employees. It provides for employees' families. It does great service for clients. It's, it's a community within a community, and it, it, it really is something that, that the business owner has built over time, and there's a lot of pride. <laughs> when that asset is, is so critical to their whole family and their, their legacy, it, it's great when the business owner is able to realize a lot of value in the sale. And that process is a function of a great business and great decision-making and great advisors. And when all of that comes together and you have a client selling a business for, you know, more than a hundred million dollars and that kind of money is legacy money for their family. I've told clients that the money that they get from the sale of this business is going to affect parts of their members of their family that they may never meet. And, and it's a really nice way to cap what is often an, an amazing journey for the business owner. Well, and it's worthy of note that, uh, I mean, when you use those kinds of numbers, but I think it's typical for many business owners uh, that have been reasonably successful that the majority of their net worth is the value of that business. And so it's driving a lot of decisions that they're going to uh, get to make. It, but it, it's it, often the largest asset bet. on their personal financial statement. It, it's By a large often margin. The, the, the main asset. And that's why it's important for them to talk mm -hmm. to people like you, John, to decide whether it's time to monetize that asset in a way that's different than how it's, how it's provided for them over the course of many years. Well, it, that's an interesting point. And let me put this in there. One of the things that we think is the one-two punch, ladies and gentlemen, to keep your assets intact, no matter what might happen, is active management to all things liquid. So as I say, it's risk off in 08, it's risk on in 09. We get out of shares in 08 into cash. We get out of cash in 09 back into shares. We want to limit the loss of the downside. We want all the gains to the upside. That's number one make sure we have active strategies in place that work for you no matter where you might be or what might be going on in your life. Number two is to diversify unlike you've ever diversified before. As we're talking, for many of us, we have an exponential piece of the pie uh, that uh, is, is the largest slice of the pie or part of the pie, all right? Uh, but when we look at some of the smart money, and I would submit that maybe one of the best smart money places we can look would be Yale Endowment. It's uh, valued at about $31.3 billion. They only report once a year for June 30. And then they, the report doesn't usually show up until the end of September. But here, I have the numbers for you. And this, the way I like to ask the question is, is, is like this. Let's suppose you're on the Yale Endowment. In fact, uh, Rob, let me play with you. Okay, so let's play along a little. I, you've never looked at it, I'm sure. But what do you imagine out of $31.3 billion, Yale has today for their uh, fiscal year, now June 
30th through next year, June 30, 2021. What do you think they have uh, as a ratio with U.S. stocks? Well, 50 to 60 percent, maybe. Okay, so I'll run through the numbers. It's 2.25, <laughs> right? Really? And by the way, we've, Daniel and I have been studying this like over the last 10 years. Guess what? Each year, the number has come down to U.S. stocks. And please understand, it is my industry, the securities industry, that typically says to you, Rob, hey, you're well diversified, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. You're done. Okay, so notice that's not their bet. And when we look at the bonds and cash, it's all of 7.5%. Really? So where we tell you to have 100%, they're telling you that they're only owning about 9 to 9.5%. That's kind of interesting. So let's look at the list. 4.5 to natural resources, 9.5 to real estate. That's not a huge bet. 11.75 to foreign stocks. And then the two biggest positions are between venture capital and absolute returns. Those ratios are exactly the same at 23.5. So please notice, there are no big bets anywhere in their portfolio. And let's also notice, I count eight different asset classes where most of us might have two or three, including the house. Hmm. Again, we're not saying this is something for you to do, but we are saying this may be something to observe and see how many more legs we can put in our portfolio stools so that maybe, you know, like in 08, the house got hit, the bonds got hurt, the stocks got crushed. Was there some way, somewhere where you might have seen a plus sign in 2008? That helps you see that everything's not going down to wherever the that might be. And, uh, you know, if there's something in the black, it helps you look at the red with a different perspective. So it, it's a, it's, it's, we would submit to you that it is worthy of looking at other examples of how people comprise their portfolios. It's all personal. It's 100% customized. There's no right template or answer, but we do want to get off of some of the tab, uh, the, the traditional ways of thinking because they just might not play as well as they have in the future as they have in the past. All right, Daniel, who do you have a question for? Uh, just one more and then we're gonna have to cut it off because we're running out of time here. Sure. So uh, last question for you, Rob, what's the most important legal issue for businesses, for business owners to consider when selling their business? You know, when, when business owners are selling their business, they're gonna, they're gonna basically trade their business for cash and they wanna hold on to that cash. And so the design of the stock purchase agreement or the asset purchase agreement that actually transfers that business, we want to dial in on the legal liability for the seller. Seller's going to make a lot of promises about that business and there's going to be an indemnity obligation. And we want to make sure that that seller gets to keep the money and then, you know, do go to the investment advisors and, and use it for their families after they do their deal. And so we want to make sure we're limiting the liability of the seller at every turn in that deal. Hmm. Makes sense to me. So um, Andrea Roschke, Bob Charney, Rob Winner, thanks so much for joining us uh, today. And folks, Daniel Medina and I, John Grace, will be back next week. And in fact, we'll be looking at, we were looking at how the U.S. has a lot of businesses coming out of nowhere right now. Next week, we'll be looking at how the U.S. compares relative to how many coronavirus care cases we have relative to the rest of the world with uh, one of our good clients who happens to be a physician, and he'll be bringing us up to date in terms of what the vaccines may or may not be able to accomplish and how particularly people of color and women who it seems to be this thing is hitting more harshly than anybody else might better prepare themselves so that, as I say, we might all survive and thrive. 
We uh, enjoy being with you. We'll be back here next week, 12 to 1 at Voice America, Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and Daniel Medina. See you next week. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.